adding to that, the one thing that I wish we had that you guys have is you have to register your offer. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here we don't do that. So, I mean, if an agent says, oh, there's 10 offers and there's like no offers in place, we have Mm -hmm. no idea. We, you know, there's certain information they're not going to disclose. I mean, they don't have, and the other thing is they don't have to disclose how many offers that there are. They could just say, you know, you're in a multiple, a multiple. Oh, interesting. Welcome everybody to another episode of Level Up. I'm Katie. I'm here with Daniel. And today we have a special guest with us, Sarah Kwan. She is a realtor with EXP Realty in the greater Vancouver area. Uh, She's a second generation realtor and mother of two based in the Tri-Cities. She has over a decade of experience. She's hands-on and transparent, understands that effective communication is key throughout the entire process of buying and selling homes. In addition to being recognized as a top agent, having ranked almost amongst the top 10% of over 15,000 agents, Sarah is also recognized as a social media expert, placing the top in the top 10 of over 23,000 agents in British Columbia. On a path to sharing her knowledge, Sarah has spoken at multiple real estate conferences, as well as classes for the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So we reached out to you originally. I found you on social media. You're doing such tremendous work with your videos and just educating consumers. So have have you been enjoying that process of of putting yourself out there on social media? Um, Process is is a good word to to use. Um, I will say uh, it it didn't start that way. So I, I initially didn't have, you know, anything personal on my page and didn't want to kind of be the face of of my business. Um, but I did see that there was an opportunity to do so. And so I thought, you know what, I'm seeing a a shift in the way businesses are on online. And so I decided to kind of dive into it a bit further and did that. And, um, it's, it's definitely helped a lot with my business as well as my brand. So yes, but it's been a process because, uh, I didn't always want to be in front of the camera and on video, but you know, it's, I'm I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you approached it initially, was it kind of with reluctance or was it a kind of crawl walk run approach? Or did you just say, you know what, we're going to zero to a hundred and seeing what happens on this? Oh God. No, no, definitely not zero to a hundred. There was reluctance because I didn't want to do it, but I knew I had to do it. And um actually, so I didn't have any professional photos, and at the time um, I think I had just taken some time off because I had had my first child. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to pay someone to take photos. What if I don't like them? So I had my husband, you know, we did, we had like a little date, you know, rendezvous where we went out and, you know, he took photos of me out at this um, cute little, in this cute little neighborhood. And he, I counted, he took 500 photos. Oh my God. He's not a photographer at oh all. God. And two of them um, worked out of the 500. Wow. So that was the first and last time we did photos. (laughs) Good that there's not 24 packs of film anymore that have to take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all digital thing. (laughs) Would have been a lot of developing. (laughs) A lot of disappointment, yeah. It it was step one in the right direction of just getting out of there, getting out of my comfort zone. And um, 
and then thankfully afterwards I, I found an amazing photographer. So I've been working with her ever since. Yeah. That's key. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's awesome. So how long have you been in the business for? 12 years, 12 years, okay. end of the year, I'll be going into my 13th year. Yeah. So 12 years in the business. Um, essentially grew up in real estate. I think my mom got licensed when I was born or shortly before I was born. Okay. Um, and interestingly enough, I was like, why I, I was, I never wanted to get into real estate. Cause I was like, who in their right mind wants to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day and take no days off and, and do everything else in between. So it wasn't my, my first choice, but it was something my mom always wanted me to get into. And, um, uh, I had a girlfriend who was getting her, she wanted to get into being a mortgage broker. We did it together past and, you know, I haven't looked back since like, I, I love it strangely because, you know, growing up, I thought I would never do anything like it, but I, yeah. I really do love it. Yeah. So do you work with your mom now or are you guys separate? So up until recently, I haven't announced this, but, Ooh. um, I, I just brought my mom, my mom is essentially retired. Um, but I brought her on to, to be a team with myself so we can kind of, um, so I can market myself and, and do some additional new branding. Um, but we net, we, we hadn't really worked together in the past. Uh, we did do a deal together like years ago where it was my listing and her buyer. Okay. And, um, that, that, that was uh, one transaction that we worked on together. Nice. So this is like yeah. breaking news. Now the world, the world's finding out that this just in. <laughs> yeah. You guys have the inside scoop. Yes. It's be paparazzi outside your office. The moment you leave, <laughs> the moment you leave this. Yeah, totally. That's so, so have you been dealing with the same types of, of properties throughout this or has there been a bit of a, a growth or a transition process over the course of 12 years? Or is it really following the life cycle of the first set of clients you had when you first started? No. Um, so I want to say that it's, I've, I've still been doing the same type. So I do residential real estate and that has pretty much, you know, been everything that I've done. And because price points obviously over the years have inflated significantly, um, <laughs> I'm still doing that type of property, but that property is now, you know, Mm. two two and a half times what it was worth you know when I started in real estate yeah so yeah and and when I started it wasn't a lot of I started when I was um in my in my like later 20s and it wasn't like people in my age group there weren't too many people in my age group who were purchasing because of affordability um but I do have clients that I've helped you know several times you know purchasing selling upgrading um things like that Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel like we were on a similar path. I've I'm 13 years in the business as well. And yeah, like properties, I think Vancouver and Toronto are very similar in terms of like appreciation and yes. where things have gone and just the unaffordability um, is just such an issue right now. Um, one thing that, you know, we've been looking at on the Ontario and Toronto side is just all of the changes that your market in Vancouver and BC has gone through over the last several years. And I know a lot of times Ontario looks to what BC is doing, what's working, are they going to implement similar rules? Mm. Um, so I know you guys have had to deal with so much, a few things we'll, we'll obviously get into, but have you found one, one question I wonder is, have you found the trans like the co competition in your market? Like in our market, we've got 
like in Ontario alone, like over a hundred thousand realtors in, in, on the, in the province, are you guys a similar vote in terms of uh, number of agents and competition? I mean, I, I still feel comp, uh, competition is quite heavy, but I mean, you also have um, a larger population. So larger mm -hmm. population, you also have more housing. So it's just you're, you're in a larger city. So BC, I think we're at about 23,000. Um, the majority of that, so the, the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board, so Greater Vancouver is at 15,000. So when you go outside of that, it's not that many agents beyond. Um, so in terms of competition, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of competition that being said, I do think that, you know, with access to information online, like comparison to, you know, when we started, people were still using fax machines and, you know, we were doing contracts by hand. So a lot has changed in a very short period of time. And I think the consumer is a lot more informed and has a lot more information available to them. So I think that um, a lot of clients are expecting more from the, from the, um, the, the transaction and the level of service and the information that they're receiving. So I do see that, I mean, obviously it depends from, from, from consumer to consumer, but I do think that people are expecting a certain level of expertise from an agent when they're working with them because they're better informed than they used to be when there was no information. Um, Cause you know, nothing was really available online. I think it ties into what you're saying before that, you know, there's certain things we just need to be aware of the way the world is going and whether it's technology, whether it's the tools available to us. Um, obviously, the market's changing and with more people come those that grasp what the client needs or what the consumer is looking for and those that kind of think, well, if I do what I've always done, I'll get what I've always got. But it's not really working that way for everybody. So correct. Um that does segue well, though, into Katie had mentioned, you know, there are a lot of changes you've been going through. It's very interesting to us in the Ontario market because we're either lagging behind or keeping an eye on what's happening there. Um, but a lot of changes that you're already living, we're very curious how that has, if at all, impacted your business in a lot of different ways. Um, one of those things that's being talked about a lot now in Ontario is the idea of a cooling off period. Um, this is something that we have had here when it comes to new construction. Yeah. Um, it's a mandatory thing. And, and I, I don't know if that was forever the case in BC as well, but that's kind of all we're used to here. However, now there's a lot of talk around bringing in something that is in place in BC um, and expanding that a bit. Can you talk a bit about what the transition was like, what it transitioned to maybe first of all, and how that experience has been for realtors and yourself in BC? Well, it was interesting because I think from the time that they announced it to the time that it was implemented, there was not a lot of information that was provided to us. They were just like, okay, we're going to do this. And the the governing bodies who implemented these changes are not in real estate. So they don't know the nuances that are involved. And so as realtors, we're like, well, how about, you know, in situations A, B, C, and D, and there really was even lawyers, lawyers were kind of you know, in this gray space of, okay, well, what happens in this situation? And leading up to it, I, I think that there was concern that a lot of people could be taking advantage of these situations. So the rescission period is essentially um, 
for I guess for, for those of you who don't know, it's an option in resale now where a buyer, once they have an accepted and binding contract, let's say if it's subject free as example, they could walk away within a three business day grace period um, at the cost of a quarter of a percent to the seller. So not like a huge amount, but I mean, it shows that you have intent um, and that you do have the option to walk away. And I, I, I don't know how that's meant to cool things off because say in the situation where, you know, there's 10 offers and they're, you know, buyer one who, who want it can now walk away from that. And the seller is left in a position where are those other people going to step up to the plate or now that they've had time to think about it, is, is it going to sell for the same price if, if buyer number one walks away or buyer number one could be, involved in two or three different purchases. I mean, right. So, so people who are potentially in um, a frame of mind to take advantage of the system that's now been implemented can do so, but at the detriment of other people in the party. So let's just say mm -hmm. for an example, um, there's a multiple offer, buyer one gets it. And then buyer two, <clears throat> excuse me, is a backup offer. Mm -hmm. If, these people were competing and pricing kept going up and buyer one, you know what they've, they've entered into an agreement with two different parties and they walk away. Well, well, buyer number two, that price was really inflated when buyer number one really wasn't that, that serious about it. Yeah. So there are a lot of things that weren't really thought of. Um, the other thing is if you have subjects with your offer, you can still fall, you know, onto those subjects. So let's say if financing doesn't go through, if, you know, the inspection doesn't go through, you still have those subjects to fall back on and you don't have to, so long as you don't rescind mm -hmm. within the first three days, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I I don't see it affecting the market as much as they thought it was it would. And um, I think there mm -hmm. are too many other elements in play because similar to your market, I'm sure, you know, we saw an increase in activity Um but a decrease in the number of listings on the market. Mm, yeah. So when when inventory has gone down and buyer demand is still there, regardless of interest rates, I mean, the, a three-day rescission period isn't really doing anything. And I mean, it makes sense for developers because developers have, they're backed by millions of dollars. They have private investors. They, they're backed by banks. But to the average consumer, or sorry, the average, you know, seller say who is selling a property, you know, for the first time in 20 years, it's it's only protecting one party really. And for a builder, the price is the price. Like these aren't situations where you're gonna fall back Correct. and wonder if someone else will give you what you got. You you're Walmart for houses when exactly. you're a builder, right? Like there's exactly. an MSRP. I've got so many questions on this, but I'm I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> I'll jump in. I'll interrupt when I need to. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's fascinating to me because I, I, I mean, Katie will disagree. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a, a pessimist, but I think being real about this, I go straight to the idea of how are people going to take advantage? Yeah. And my curiosity is, to your point, I mean, it's not an affordability play, if that's what people think. The idea is fairness to buyers. I, I guess that the thought process is, people are being rushed into things in a hot market and you know they might need some time to think about it if on day zero a place is selling i get that however has has there been actual I, i'm sure people have taken advantage but 
is this now a genuine worry when someone lists a home that this is an extra thing people are actively thinking about? Or is it still more the exception to the rule? Was it more of it initially? Like how long ago was this introduced? The beginning of the year. So in the in okay. the beginning, yes, it was like, okay, well, to like it was something we had to disclose to sellers. So it's kind of like, you know, just so you know, things have changed. And even though you have a, a binding and, and and firm accepted offer, there's three business days where, you know, things could fall apart. So that definitely was a concern for, for everybody. Um, and then so, but as, you know, the market shifted, it's become less of a concern, um, you know, just extra, extra paperwork. And it, it hasn't done anything. I think in order for the government to really, you know, cool the housing market, they need to put things in place like increasing new development. If there's more supply than there is demand, prices will naturally go down. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's tough because, you know, when you're working with rental buildings, it makes sense because they're, they're going to be dedicated rental buildings. But when you're working with new development that's for sale, the developer is incentivized by what's going on the market. So when the market turned last year, a lot of new developers held back on launching new product. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, interest rates are high, buyer demand has gone down, we need to make money and it has to be at a certain figure. So a lot of people, you know, pulled out, meaning there's less new inventory. And, you know, immigration is on fire. And yeah. So where are these people going to live? It's 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 kind of compounded with with different elements. And a three day recession period is is not the answer for that. Yeah. In terms of like even just the logistics behind this sort of thing when, so first of all, is a deposit still given within, like, I know here it's within a business day. Is that still what so happens? It depends on the offer that you write. So okay. the, the buyer's agent, whoever's writing it. So it can be upon accepted offer. It could be within 24 right. hours, you know, yeah. so there are times where you accept an offer and then, you know, the deposit isn't given. And so here's the other thing is, if someone walks away, mm -hmm. it's the seller's responsibility to then chase down that buyer for that quarter of a percent. So the agent, so agents aren't even really, in, well, I'm, I'm sure they're helping to coordinate, but um, it's ultimately up to the buyer and seller is what you're saying. Oh my gosh, that must be a, like in practice, like, have you heard, like, have you dealt with these situations? Have you heard Thankfully, of, no, <laughs> okay. Thankfully, but, no. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure like, you know, at a, at a broker level, I'm sure at some point in time, like, you know, there have been those cases where someone's walked away. Um, and I mean, like, for example, even if a bank draft or a deposit has been submitted, it's still held in trust. Yeah. You then have to seek legal counsel to, you know, try and get that out. So it's like, is it really doing anything if, if, if it doesn't amount to anything at the end of the day? And the money cannot come from that money held in trust you're saying, or can it like, can it be just transitioned from the deposit being held or it, it can't come that way? Quarter point. Seek legal guidance. <laughs> that's, the, that's the right. I don't want to, you know, you know, certain things we can and cannot say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it, it's just, it, it is a hot mess. I agree with you. I think with any new, anything that comes in, there's more T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted than anybody can imagine. Right. Yeah. And it's that balance between getting something out there that everybody wants 
versus having it sit with amendments and and case studies and task forces for years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Because there's always going to be a reason and a scenario why it won't work. But in this particular case, like, have you seen, maybe to close this out, again, there's lots of questions, but there's other stuff to talk about. Have you seen positive come from this? I honestly, I, I, like I said, in the beginning, there was some hesitation around it because it's something new. Like, how is this going to affect us? So there was a little more concern. But in terms of affecting the market, if interest rates are low and we're still going like this, I mean, mm. I, I can't say so. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, there's that. And then <laughs> moving <laughs> on to something else that we don't have in Ontario right now, but from what I understand in BC, you aren't allowed to double end. Um, so double ending for those that don't know is when an agent represents both a seller and a buyer in a transaction. So in Ontario, that's still allowed, of course, with consent, the buyer and seller have to agree to that before that moves forward. But in BC, that's a no-go, correct? Correct. I'm trying to think this came out a few years ago. So when I first started, you were allowed to represent both buyer and seller and in the market. So like, for example, if you're working, you know, a like a, a niche market, say, or like one specific area and you have buyers and sellers in, in, in the same area, there are times where you would previously represent both parties because at times when there is low inventory, mm-hmm. It's, it's naturally going to happen, right? It's not very often, but it will naturally happen. Um, so it's interesting now because say you, you're in that situation now, you actually have to remove yourself from representing either party if either one of one the, um, want to transact on a single property. Reason being is you have you know private information to say the buyer if we represent the seller or if you represent the buyer, you have private information to the seller. So you can no longer represent either party. And thankfully I haven't been this in this case um, recently, but the client sometimes is upset because if this is a client who's worked with you, you know, for years, several transactions, they trust you and your knowledge and you now have to refer them or guide them to, to find somebody else to, to replace you. So, I mean, I think where it came from was, um, because the other thing we can't do are assignments on resale without uh, the seller's uh, approval. Can you guys still do assignments? Yes. We need the okay. builder's approval to do it, but we can do that. Oh, no, no. Yeah. For, for resale, though. Resale, oh, for resale. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there is now a line in our contract that basically states that you cannot um, assign without seller's approval. Um, and then there's two portions. So one is, you know, that you can make a financial benefit from it or one that you cannot. So you have to kind of X out the original contract. Um, so I want to say maybe closer to 10 years ago, one thing that I was seeing a lot of, because, you know, there was a lot of information online is say, let's say, you know, someone's grandmother is selling a property. She has no idea what market value is. She has no idea what the market's like. She doesn't, you know, use the internet. She doesn't know anything beyond what she knows. And say an agent lists her property for sale, but, you know, has a buddy who has a buyer for this property, let's say. So selling agent works with buying agent. They, they have an agreement before it even hits MLS. Like I've been, I was in the situations where it's like zero days on the market. I call and they're like, it's sold. 
Hmm. I'm like how? So they would they would do that, and then um, they could do also dual agent, and then they assign that contract to a a third party then. And so that agent has essentially made commission twice on the same property. The first time it sold, it shouldn't have sold for that price because it sold in zero days on market and was listed for less than what it's worth. And yeah, just a lot of things that people and people in our field should not be doing. So I think that's why they got rid of assignments for, for resale and removed um, double ending or representing both parties or dual agency, sorry. So in, in removing the dual agency, does that in any way impact, or have you seen it impact the marketing efforts of listing agents in, in so far as I know now, it's not the intent of agents to double end in our market, although, although it is something that can happen. And I, and I know, for example, you do something like running an open house, someone comes in unrepresented, they're interested in buying the house up until now. You can't take them on. I mean, you can you can ultimately represent both sides. It's it's sort of a an unwritten, but some people like that as a reason to do certain marketing things to bring in people who aren't represented. Would that be something that you'd see? I don't know if that was even the case prior, but I could imagine that if double ending was outlawed entirely, it could have an impact on the marketing efforts of a listing agent who did things although the intent should be the best interest of your seller, which is bring the most people possible, whether they're represented or not, if you've got people similar to what you were just alluding to, where people do things for personal gain, it's the, it's the minority, but they're out there and people yeah. are always looking for ways to leverage the rules to their advantage. I could see taking this away, potentially having an impact on how people go out there with their properties or who they're going after because they're yeah. not able to to benefit from that in their minds. In terms of the marketing, I don't know because I, I, I can't say that they were doing things to market. Um, like in the, in the situations where I was representing the buyer and in multiple situations, there were listing agents who were doing this mm-hmm. um, and different, different people, like not the same agent. Um, I think one thing that they were doing was holding off on showings. So I guess maybe if they got an inquiry from someone who wasn't represented, they might show that person before say doing, showing an agent um, with, with a client mm-hmm. because yeah, in those situations, it would be tougher to get into. Sometimes you wouldn't get a call back and then you find yeah. out that there's an offer in play. I was in a situation where there was an offer in play. I had my client in the car with me on Bluetooth and they wouldn't let us submit an offer because I remember his words were, I don't want my client to be too greedy. <laughs> Even though that's oh a person that you're supposed to be protecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. They're not. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, curious in, in BC, because I know in, in Ontario, um, currently as the rules are in place, if basically it's considered multiple representation at a brokerage level. So if you and another agent in your, in your office are representing each side, it's still considered multiple rep. Is that the same for you guys? Or is that it's, is it designated representation? Designated agency. So they did change the rules. So that way information wasn't then, because technically agents within the office wasn't, wouldn't share the information that was, you know, disclosed from their client. Yeah. But 
technically you could because it was we were all housed under the same umbrella so they yeah. have changed it to designated agent within that brokerage okay yeah. but then okay so just you as the single agent can't represent both buyer and seller then okay Correct. so i guess would you have it like i guess you would have agents from your brokerage you typically refer to if um if you were in a situation where a buyer wanted to work with you on on one of your listings or how do you handle yeah, so that yeah I would refer it to someone that I know specializes in the area and someone that I trust, because if I'm going to be referring them out to somebody, it, it, it I would ideally like them to be in good hands. So they're working with someone who knows what they're doing. And, you know, we yeah. can, I mean, ultimately our goal is to get the deal done for our clients. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that always helps. Um, but to go back, you can still do no agency, it's not ideal, but you can do no right. agency for, so say if a buyer walks in, um, but things can be like, there's a lot of, I don't know, you know, gray areas yeah. and I won't use the word loophole, even though I just said it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. yeah, there is, there is that, but you're not, you're not, you can't do no agency if it's someone that you've worked with in the past or you have a relationship with. So you can't go from agency to no agency. Yeah. Um, but I, in our market, I don't advise it because things can get very, very difficult and, and, and tricky. Yeah. So, so what about rentals? Let's talk Tell about, us about rentals. rentals. Let's, let's talk about rent. <laughs> rentals are, are bonkers here. I can imagine it's similar there when you're in a market that has limited supply, way more people looking for homes than there are homes, uh, prices going up beyond affordability, interest rates going up, immigration going, everything on the demand side is going up. Everything on the supply side is limited at best. Um, how has the, first of all, just how has the rental market been there? I can't speak to it too much because I actually don't do rentals. And that's one thing that's very different from Ontario yeah. agents and BC agents is there. I, I don't know what it is, but there aren't a lot of agents who do rentals for some reason. Um, I'm not, I'm not licensed to do rentals because it's based off of our, our managing broker. Um, but even before when I worked at an office that did, I, I just, I never did rentals. Um, in regards to that, I do know because I have to pay attention to rental markets for my clients who have, you know, say a rental suite or investment property, um, rental markets on fire. Uh, yeah. It, do you not, do you not take on the rental listing for your clients who purchased with you? Like does, does so the listing goes to a different agent to handle the, that's smart. It's people who are, and that's interesting. I don't know if it's smart. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I won't go so far as to say stay in your lane because I know people can be knowledgeable about lots of things and professional about a lot of things, but you know what? Like if it's in your client's best interest to give them a quote unquote specialist, who's really focused on that, then you're doing them a service, right? Yeah. Like, um, although I'm sure you could kick ass listing it yourself as well. But. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So for, for property, like you have to be licensed in property management to be able to do that. Um, but they're all, it's, it's interesting because, you know, going back to, to Ontario being, you know, there are a lot of rental agents and for here it's, it's, I don't, it's, it's like crickets. I mean, there are people who do it, but it's yeah. not their main line of business. There's a, there's a small, there's a small, there's a couple um, like companies that do rentals, yeah. but in terms of 
like brokerages like or or agents it's not yeah it's it's interesting yeah yeah because it's such a big piece of our industry I find like everybody does rentals and when things get slow and turn on the purchase and sales side um you you definitely see a lot more agents dive into the rental side of things so yeah it's it's kind of weird how that kind of trend goes and doesn't go in certain areas but yeah yeah Um, so in terms of like, have you heard any other rumblings of the government coming in and doing anything else crazy or are they, are they pretty quiet these days? (laughs) I haven't heard anything, um, yet. Um, I do know that there is chatter of potentially kind of, um, making the licensing program a little more stricter. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I don't know about, about you guys. So, as far as I know, I think BC has some of the strictest rules in, I want to say North America, I know for sure within Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because the licensing pro- process, it's like you, you essentially kind of become licensed and you're, you're still lacking so much knowledge in order to, you know, do well by your client in order to do well for yourself and your business when you're first licensed and, um, it's all these kind of different bodies involved in terms from a broker level to board level to licensing level in terms of, well, who, who, who's taking on that role? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It can get confusing. Even in Ontario, I know, you know, um, RICO is the regulatory body, but they often get confused with our provincial authority or not authority, but association. And then there's the local boards. And I find everybody gets confused about who's responsible for what, and then, you know, ends up blaming everybody for everything. So it's, it can be really confusing. Even the education itself has recently yeah. been sort of re-administered or it's administered by a different body as yeah. in terms of who's running it in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a, uh, I, I honestly, the industry as a whole, I'm happy it's trying to find its place and trying to wake up and move forward. Like the discussions happening, I do think a lot of these discussions are maybe not the right discussions. To your point, I think the focus needs to be on supply before anything else when it comes to the affordability issue. Um, but real estate, it depends on your position, right? It's an archaic industry. Some yeah. people would argue that's because buying and selling a house is as basic as, as you know, it's a transaction. So why should it change? But the world's changing, whether it's technology, whether it's people's moods, the economy, all that. So um, I, I'm hoping this isn't the tip of the iceberg. I feel like this is just a massive tidal wave of change that hopefully will just settle in and we'll all learn to live with <laughs> what this is. One thing we didn't bring up, unless I completely missed it, and I don't know in BC if it's in place at all. Do you have anything in place yet with respect to open offers in terms of disclosing competing offers? Um, That's something that's being talked about here. Um, I know there's some companies that have Mm. thought about or have started to come into BC where if your seller tells you, I want everybody else to know what the eight other offers are, and I want them to compete in an open field is that in any way permitted in bc yet or or not at all it's up to the seller so if the seller advises you like this is what mm-hmm. i want you to do i mean it's, it's essentially what your seller has directed you to do okay. um but the, the like kind of adding to that the one thing that i wish we had that you guys have is you have to register your offer is that correct mm-hmm yeah. So here we don't do that so i mean if an agent says oh there's 10 offers and there's like no offers in place we have 
-hmm. no idea. We, because, you know, there's certain information they're not going to disclose. I mean, they don't have, and the other thing is they don't have to disclose how many offers that there are. They could just say, you know, you're in a multiple, a multiple. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's the only one thing we're allowed to disclose or have to disclose is the number of offers. Yeah. So I, I wish, I wish we did that. Um, in terms of that, so almost like, um, kind of like, I, like an auction is, is what hmm. you're talking about. Yeah, I know, somewhere. like, I, re- I remember hearing, you know, talk about it because I think Australia does that. I believe there's a yeah. couple different other markets that do auctions. Mm-hmm. And so do you guys have auction, like kind of like that style allowed or it's in discussion? The short answer is it's open offers as a, as a concept are coming in a future iteration of, of the rules here. And that's sort okay. of being, that's part of this big package of, of new regulations. Um, exactly what that looks like. We've got a good idea. It's not quite auctions, but um, auctions is a whole loaded thing. They are actually our brokerage has offered them. Um, however, there's What's the easiest way to put this without not regulated? Like it's it's, it's not a, regulated. It's an yeah. exception under the trading in real estate, so an auctioneer doesn't have to follow the same rules technically at this mm. point that we do, um, as as real estate brokerages. So it's kind of like another. It's like a loophole um, that I think people have kind of pushed a little bit too far um, recently, but just with given the the amount of competition and everything in the market. Um, but yeah, there's definitely changes. Collection so what are your of, thoughts? Oh, sorry, go on. Uh, well, I was just going to say like, as when it comes to disclosure of different information, it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of what's required, what's optional and what you can't do mm. in this market, right? Like, so up until this point, you can't, for example, disclose competing offer information. You can't tell buyer B and their agent that buyer A has offered a million dollars or that they have, like, you can't do that, but you do have to say we've got this many offers registered. That's kind of the only information that other agents have to go on when it comes to determining what they might offer. Um, And some of that's going to be changing, right? And like, if you get an offer registered, you're supposed to, and this is another kind of gray that we're learning is more gray. You're supposed to notify interested parties or it's in your, it's in your client's best interest to notify interested parties that you have an offer because you might get a better offer. Um, but you don't really need to. So it's one of those where someone could call you and you could say, actually it's sold. And they might say, well, how come you never told me you had an offer? Well, I didn't need to, I should have probably, I mean, that's my opinion. You should have. Um, but that might be similar to what you were talking about with someone on day zero who has a deal set up and they have no need to let anybody else know, even if it's been up for six hours, Although it sounded in that case, like people came equipped with the deal done as it hit the market. So (laughs) that's, that's even more aggressive. Yeah. So so is some of that similar to BC? Like right now, if somebody gets an offer, they don't need to notify anybody else that they have an offer or they do need to notify. So you're supposed to notify if they have been, if they have requested like to be kept in the loop of offers because they have expressed that interest but if they haven't expressed that interest, you don't have to. Obviously, like going back to what you said, it is in your client's best interest to notify everybody. Um, I do have a question for you, though, because, you know, when there was that discussion on um, on auctions, like, and that was open, or, or as you're calling it, open offers, 
my my concern with that is, you know, when you get into multiple offers and you don't know what the what the highest bid is, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of protected in some cases because you're not going to depending on the situation and what off what information is disclosed to you as a buyer's agent, you know, sometimes it can be in the best interest of your client not paying too much over market value because they want to get in. So my concern with open offers or auction style is if I know that that property, like the highest bid is, you know, $25,000 more and I really want it, but I'm emotional and I'm not thinking logically because we all know in that moment, everything is very, very emotional. And sometimes people don't get logical. They don't think you're not working out the payments of what $25,000 is in that, in that moment, because it's a live auction. Are people going to, you know, kind of go crazy with, with that if, if it's, you know, mm-hmm. at a certain price point and you have like, you know, 10, 15 multiple offers. Absolutely. And that it's funny you, you mentioned that because a lot of people think the opposite that open offers will decrease the price. Correct. And there are instances, and I'm sure you've seen this in, um, in a multiple offer situation where somebody comes in with a significantly higher offer. And if they knew what everybody else was offering, obviously they wouldn't have offered that much, but mm-hmm. in the auctions that we've conducted, um, it's, it is like that people get emotional, obviously. And they're like, Oh, what's another 5,000? What's another 10,000? Like, I just want this property. Yeah. Um, maybe that's where the rescission period would come, would come in handy after that. <laughs> that they're like, Oh mess. crap. What did I just do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's definitely different ways of thinking. And, you know, I think the government has always thought that open offers will help damper the prices, but I don't, we haven't seen that. And even in Australia, it doesn't happen that way either. Um, So yeah, it's, it's different ways of thinking just on that topic. And I know we'll, we'll wrap up shortly, but I know also, I think in BC, if you set an offer date, is it, you have to stick to it? Like you can't deviate or accept an early offer? Yes. So before you could pick a date and then they were called bully offers. So if someone came in before the date, your client had the option to review it. And then we'd have to then change that date to the date that, you know, the current date or whatever the case was. Um, But like it was getting hectic. So now it's irrevocable. Whatever date you choose, you have to stick with, which I I think is better because it's less pressure on the seller. Cause I have been in those situations where a bully offer comes in, it's a really good offer. And then you're having to like juggle and notify everybody. Okay. This Mm -hmm. offer has come in. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's helped. Yeah. We don't have that. It's still insane here. And like, yeah, you miss out on notifying somebody and then everybody gets angry or, you know, it's, it's all sorts of different craziness. So I think that makes things a lot more straightforward. It does. One one last craziness and this will be 30 seconds and then we're done. Um, (laughs) Underpricing is a big problem here with, especially with offer dates where, you know, a place is worth a million bucks, you price it at 699,000 because people have their search parameters set there. Um, Love it or hate it. It's something that creates a lot of offers and potentially it could be looked at as something that's good or bad. Is there any rule in BC that regulates that or people are just listing or is that not really a practice that takes place so much in, in BC? Um, no, it does happen. I, I'm actually guilty for doing this once last year. We've, we've done we've done it too. It's okay. No. <laughs> but so I mean, so yeah, so there's no regulation around it. I know a lot of agents get ticked off with it. 
um the reason why i did it was because i'm like there were two other comps that were listed at the same price in the same development like i'm not gonna overprice mine lose out um but i also don't like to do it in a lot of cases because some people will just lowball the offer a lot of times you know people will come in like buyers will come in not understanding market value and so yes while it is an offer they're let down because they think that oh the, the place is worth you know in your example six hundred thousand dollars when it's really worth a million dollars so it doesn't make sense to do it just to have a bunch of offers because for every offer that we have we have to fill out paperwork for every single offer so i mean if you have like 50 offers i mean that's it's a lot of paperwork for you and a lot yeah. of paperwork for your for your seller to review as well yeah. so i don't recommend pricing it low just to receive i mean you could say oh well i got 50 offers i mean that's great but at the end of the day yeah. yeah i mean it's yeah. it's yeah it's 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 understandable and it's the same situation when everybody else in the neighborhood does it it's very hard to be the one who's going at it at market because everyone will just say well that's overpriced look yeah. what these other ones were priced at so and none of that is disclosed to the public, right? Like this is less than what I'm looking for or, or offer dates. Like, do people know when there's an offer date in the public or they need to rely on their agent to know that offers are being held on a certain day? They typically need to rely on their agent because we're also limited to how much information we could put out there. And so I typically put it in the realtor remarks because most people here have some form of representation or if they call to inquire, I let them know. Um, that being said, depending on the agent, like if it's an, sometimes, you know, agents are not working in that area. They're not as familiar. So I'll be like, you know, look at these comps just so you know, this is what has recently sold. So I kind of lead them up to getting the information. So they're not let down mm -hmm. in that case. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's similar to what we do as well, but definitely a lot of explaining. That's why we're here. That's the value yeah. of, uh, of our profession or one of the values for sure. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for, for being with us today. It was very interesting speaking to you about all of the stuff that's going on in Part BC. Two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get into this a little bit more, but um, if anybody wants to reach out or refer clients to you that um, are looking in the greater Vancouver area, where, where can they reach you? Um, so calling or texting is always easy. 604-229-4855. Um, social media, Instagram at Sarah Kwan, S-A-R-A-H-K-W-A-N. Um, those are the best ways to find me. Yeah. And go follow her because she's got some great Not videos. Following her. Do yeah. it. <laughs> Do it. Great content. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we, we absolutely loved today. So thank you so much again. Thank you both for having me. It's been, it's been fun. Awesome. See you later. Level up, level up, level up. Level up.